Hi friends, welcome to another magnificent episode of Escaping the Cave, the Townsville X-Pod at EscapingTheCave.com. I'm your friendly host, Todd. Hi there, I'm especially friendly today. Can you guess why? Give you one guess. <laughs> this is the post-election episode. Not that we're, you know, going to stop talking about the election, I'm sure, over at least the next couple of weeks, <laughs> or months depending on how long this legal battle takes. But I got to tell you, like millions of you, I feel good. At least this thing's sit right now. Nothing certified, nothing official, officially official yet. Joe Biden gave his uh, acceptance speech, I guess, last night. Recording this on Sunday, November 8th, 2020. It'll be released on the 9th. A Biden... Uh, and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris gave their acceptance speeches in uh, Wilmington last night. And it was nice. Wasn't it nice? I'm assuming there's probably some Trump supporters out there who are just cringing like there's, you know, nails on the chalkboard when I say that uh, today. But that felt good. As I'll repeatedly say in this episode, like an afterglow. Like we just finished and we're lying in bed like, ah. Feels like a liberation to some degree. Now, I try to remain as detached as I could. Throughout this ongoing count that took place before they called the election on Saturday, I, I stayed as detached as I could, just watching and trying really hard. But as the week went on, I found myself like just praying, almost praying. I'm not, a, I'm not a devout man, as many of you know, but I was praying, please let this end. Let this four-year, I don't even know what to call it, just let it end. Let's have some normalcy here. I couldn't help it. I did stay emotionally detached from the outcome as best I could. I kept thinking to myself, oh, Nevada, Arizona, I don't trust you, Arizona. Oh, I've lived in Arizona. I don't trust you. I kept thinking about the impeachment, the Russia investigation. I've said on the show before, you know, the Democrats have thought they've had him before. I uh, was watching with a raised eyebrow most of the week, hoping to God, against myself, trying to stay detached, couldn't help it, hoping to God that this nightmare would end. This embarrassment would end. And it looks like it has, and you know what? I feel pretty good about that. Right now. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the afterglow, Brian and I. It's a pretty good episode. It's, it's more optimistic than normal, at least on my end. Uh, I'm not going to shit on your parade. I'm not going to tell you to be careful. Well, too much. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you in this show to wake up and to quit being delusional. I'm not going to go that route too much today. That may be coming, but not today. Talk about the afterglow. Touch on the coming return to reality. That is inevitable. We'll talk about Donald Trump. And his stop the steal thing. We both believe the moderate majority has spoken. We talk about this because <laughs> the woke flakes didn't have a good election either. Donald Trump got beat. You didn't take the Senate. You lost seats in the House of Representatives. It was not the blue wave. I'm sick and tired of hearing about blue waves. Stop talking about blue waves. They don't exist anymore. It didn't happen. You know who won this election? It wasn't Republicans and it wasn't Democrats. It was moderates. Congratulations. Thank you for standing up and speaking, moderate majority. 
We talk about things like the art of changing one's own mind, content generators, and social momentum. How that relates to Donald Trump, how he can't walk anything back because of the content he's created, the social momentum he's built. Putting woke flakes down for their nap. We talk about that as well, related to what I was just talking about. Also, <laughs> our forthcoming role, our specific roles as individuals. In, the, in whatever sort of kumbaya moment comes, if it comes, that's what they're talking about now. Biden's talking about reconciliation, nationwide reconciliation among the ideologues. What is our role in that? How can we get there? How can we participate? If that's what's going to happen, if that's what we choose to see happen, how do we do that? We talk quite a bit about that in this episode, about, about erecting bridges. I have a pretty good conversation about how, despite being the vile human being he is, Donald Trump still got 70 million votes. How did that happen? Brian asked that question in this show. We talk about it. Here's an idea. How about we all just shut up about politics for a while? Opining about politics. How about we all just stop that? Religion and politics, you don't bring it up at the bar. You don't bring it up at your family gatherings if you want to have a good Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's coming up here in a couple of weeks. If you want to have a tranquil one, don't discuss politics. Well, there's an idea. Something I'm going to build upon, I think, in coming shows. Related topic, we talk about how you do that with people who are just pure political entities, whose identity is so tethered (laughs) to their political ideology that you can't relate to them outside of the political sphere. How do you deal with those folks? And something I'm very happy to talk about and very happy to see, I've noticed it more and more over the last few weeks. I am thrilled about this, especially in the context of the election and the analysis, the breakdown, the post-mortem. The discussion of why we are as divided as we are. The social media disease idea that I've been talking about for nearly three years is finally going mainstream. Tristan Harris was on Bill Maher uh, on Friday as his opening segment guest. They had an extended conversation about this very thing. I, I encourage you to watch that episode. Not just for that. Malcolm Nance was on there as well. I'll get to that in a minute. But the social media disease is becoming mainstream. And I'll say it in the show, I'm going to say it now. If we understand what social media is doing to us individually and collectively as a society, Facebook and Twitter don't have to do a fucking thing. We can. We can change how we use it or if we use it. I've not been optimistic about much in the last few years. I'm optimistic and happy to see that this narrative, this conversation, this discussion is happening on a wider scale, finally. I don't feel so alone on an island. And finally, we do discuss Malcolm Nance, who was on Bill Maher as well this week, talking about the aftermath, what he sees coming with Trump supporters, how Donald Trump's going to influence them in the wake of this electoral defeat. He does not have a very optimistic outlook. Not much of that in this show, as I said, but we do touch on it. You should probably go listen to what Malcolm Nance had to say on Maher's show on Friday night as well. Once again, this was recorded on November the 8th of 2020, five days after the 2020 election. It's episode number 94. Thanks ever so much for clicking in. Hope you enjoy it.
extra back. Sean Connery died. We didn't. We never talked about Eddie Van Halen. Oh, right. Yeah, there's a local connection here, too. It was all over the free press, his death. What's the local connection there? Well, Valerie's from here and uh, Clarkson. And um, his brother-in-law, her brother, was uh, the manager of the band for a while. And he still lives in uh, Charlotte, I want to say, or something like that. Somewhere obscure in Michigan. Really? How yeah. did, I did not know Valerie Bertinelli was from Michigan. Yeah, yeah. They, I think she was born somewhere else. Family moved here. Her dad was an exec at Ford, or I want to say GM or Ford. Moved him around a lot. I think he was in like a sales, you know, executive position type thing. And uh, and then they ended up here, and they lived in, I want to say Clarkston, kind of one of the bougie towns around uh, around Detroit. I can't remember the name of it, but but anyway, she. I think she basically grew up here, and then um, when she became, then when she was a younger uh, teenager. They moved to California for something, and then she got into acting, and that's how she landed one day at a time. I didn't know yeah. any of that. Yeah. Well, I didn't either until I read it all over. It's like they got like three or four full pages in the free press because of that. So. Hey, hey, hey. One break. Come in. I saw somebody post something. <laughs> I was doing my little off-the-reservation off stalking trip. And she had posted, she's a, a far-left liberal type chick who li- likes really obscure music, you know, the hipster kind. And uh, she's like, I don't know why, but I just feel Van Halen's music really deeply. This affects me very deeply. Like, yeah, that music was everywhere when we were kids. You couldn't avoid it. I don't care if you were listening to Whitney Houston or whoever. Yeah, it affects you deeply because yeah. it's fucking awesome music. Well, it, it has been for 50 fucking years yeah anyway and it was it was <laughs> everywhere though i mean starting starting with the van halen one release all the way through what was that, the last one of the 80s ou812 and for our unlawful so. carnal knowledge i think it was 90 or 91 yeah, but 91 between those two points that music was ubiquitous you couldn't avoid it i don't care yeah, if no. it was eddie van or uh, david lee roth i don't care if it's sammy hagar it was everywhere it was everywhere yeah i mean jump is like one of the soundtracks of literally the year 1984, not just the album. You hear that synthesizer, you think of 1984. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It's that that's the definitive record from that year. That was my that was my graduation year. I don't know. Is that the definitive rock band of the 80s? You think? Late 70s and early 80s, yeah. they were the response to disco, right? So disco was huge. Remember, Van ha- Van Halen one came out in 76 or 77. 77. 77. I don't know for sure myself. And of course, that that hit with, um, you know, running with the devil and all this, you know, and and I mean, my God, and that was the response to, you know, Yvonne Ellerman's like, I can't have you, and <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> it's like Jesus, it just needed it so bad, and of course, Kiss was part of that that wave too, the response to disco, which was just awful music, but it was fun, it was fun, it was terrible music. When you, by, by definition of music, right. but it was just fun. But mm. we needed it. And you, you know, remember that was post Watergate, post Vietnam. Can't stay. You know, all of that. can't stay. Yeah. That was that was that was our musical way of saying, "Fuck it, who cares?" I'm gonna use you know? I'm gonna use "Year of the Cat" as the bump. Because <laughs> okay. maybe that's what we need right now. Maybe just need. A, <sighs> well, you need you need to have some Van Halen underneath part of this conversation. Now it's a little late now, isn't it? <laughs> 
I mean, we, this happened with two, three weeks ago. We, I completely spaced off. I wanted to have this conversation with you after it happened. I completely spaced yeah. off with all the other stuff. But yeah, I forgot you weren't rolling. I thought we were we were rolling. We so are actually. I started when we. Oh, okay, <laughs> Sorry good. about that. Because oh, this is no, yeah, yeah. Just like we're going to talk about this. I should get this going. I figured you would have picked up on that. It sounded yeah. like you did, but I never told you. That's my bad. Uh, this is just my radio voice is now my always voice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting point to pick up because after the 60s, after Kent State, after Watergate, all that, you're right. The music of the 1970s was just yeah. sedate. Yeah. yeah. I have Elton John going through my head like Daniel. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes. Like, no more protests. No more messages. We just need... <sighs> Yeah, loving you from I forget her name, and uh, yeah. you know all of those. Uh, you know the 1975, 76, maybe 77, getting into that range of music. Everything was just so milk toast. Yeah, and 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 it was just it just was kind of feel good milk toast. Don't you know all the emotion? You know, try to have good emotions about things, and eventually it got to where disco was just ubiquitous. And so, like we were saying, you know, you had to have a response. The pendulum swung, and it swung right into uh, Van Halen and Kiss and mm-hmm. uh, Peter Frampton, and you know, right in that era, right in that age group. Well, Metallica wasn't far behind there either, was no, it? It was like 82, 83, no. right? Yeah, Metallica was right there with their early stuff. Man, their early yeah, stuff right. was really hard for the time. Yeah. Now it's practically grocery store music, but for the time, <laughs> you know, it was pretty rough. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. I, I've got the uh, what is it? Uh, jump in the fire. I've got that going and going through my head for like the barbecue aisle at Meyer. Right, right. Yeah. No, 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 no. Come on. Oh yeah. Fuck. I, I miss playing. Laugh. I miss playing music on the radio. I miss, you know what I mean? I miss. I miss talking about music on the radio. Uh, I don't miss the corporate shit and all that stuff. But I just. I miss. I miss my. Um, my professor persona on radio. Right, professor Brian. And that was, I still that got those clips so uh, on the hard drive over here. If you want, to, want really? to embarrass you, I can find some of the stuff that you uh, recorded for the 2000 election. I still have it. Oh, God. This is the Professor Brian Hayes reminding you that then you flubbed. Try that again. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. Take two. You <laughs> <laughs> aired it. It was great. Oh, was it, was, it a, was it a rock the vote thing? Go vote yeah. kind of thing? Oh. Yeah, we all did those. All the jocks at the station did them. When you came into the production room and recorded them, there were flubs here and there. And I was, I, you know, our voice guy. Uh, I loved using our voice guy at that time because he, he would mm. fuck up. But when he was, when he did, he was hilarious. <laughs> you know, so I used that in the production pieces. It kind of became a little thing of mine, <laughs> but I did it with the staff when they came in occasionally too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are fun. I always loved outtakes. I, I absolutely love them. But yeah, I have one of those of you. I'll see if I can find it. I know where yeah. it is. I just have God. to. Maybe I'll end the show with it because it, actually, I, <laughs> the election just ended. I should have used it last week, I guess. But I feel like the last four years politically has just been one long outtake, hasn't it? It's just been one one long. Flub. Well, where I was going with the, uh, you're right about that, where I was going with the, the music thing, when I started talking about the 1970s and the music of the 70s, it, yeah. it's sort of, of the follow-up to the 1960s and early 70s, Kent State and Altamont and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That today, this is recorded on Sunday, November the 8th, Biden was, this is just for posterity's sake, Biden was... Um, the election was called in his favor, at least by the networks, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when that happened... There were people literally dancing in the streets all yes. over the country. 
they were lighting off. I don't know who it was, but I think it was some, one of the residences in my neighborhood where they were fire, fire, using fireworks. It was uh, it was big. It was big. They it was you. They set off fireworks in London. Yeah, yeah. They were ringing church bells in Paris. Yes. <laughs> in Paris, we our, our election got the Parisians to ring their their, their church bells. Anyway. Well, our reach is far and wide, and sure. and you know what I mean. It's a, and and so our elections have worldwide consequences. They do. My point here, however, to tie it into the 1970s music of just like oh, I don't want oh, this is just nice and soft. This is like this collective exhalation. Yeah, oh, it's not the yeah. 1960s anymore. You know what I mean? We're not in the. We don't have to sit here at least for this moment. At least for this little precious moment of this stretch of time. Maybe a couple days. Maybe a couple weeks. However long it lasts. But it's like things feel normal. Uh, yeah, you do. You do feel really normal. And have you noticed how, other than with a very few exceptions, people just stopped talking about Trump. Just stopped. Yeah. They just because once once Biden was chosen, it became all about that. And all about um, Kamala Harris and all about the future and all about let's bring everybody together. No one was talking about Trump. He's like he, he became the crazy uncle that nobody talks about that's sitting over in the corner uh, at Thanksgiving. And and, and that's how that, that was the vibe I got. It was like he just became so irrelevant in a matter of minutes. They were talking about this earlier today that the, he's still tweeting periodically, mm-hmm. but nobody really gives it any air. Mm-mm. Nobody talks about what he's tweeting. It's just like, okay, crazy guy over there is trading, uh, tweeting something else. The mm-hmm. only I, That has not been my experience. They haven't stopped talking about Trump, at least in my experience. I don't know what you've been watching, and we're probably consuming different information here. Uh, but the, how they're speaking about him is only in terms of the fact that he refuses to concede yeah. that he's... <laughs> He's he's batshit in this notion that he's sure that the election was stolen from him. You know? Yeah, I, I've That's been hearing that. That's the context that, yeah. that, they're talk, that they're actually talking about him. It's true. I'm watching all of three of the major networks, not yeah. not cable news or anything like that. I'm watching the That's news it. off of ABC, NBC, and CBS. And I'm watching it on their, their streaming feeds. Um, and it's, it's good. And... Um, right. Uh, it's not the same as the, what you're getting in cable news. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, what I, what I saw yesterday... I was in my recliner. Girlfriend was on the couch <laughs> and she was just dozing off to take a nap and they cut in with a Chiron. You knew it was coming. I'm like, oh, well, leaned over, shook her like, hey, wake up. They're going to call it. They're going to call it. Uh-huh. And she's half sane. She's half awake. She's half conscious. And she looks over at the screen. We can project that Joe Biden will win the, the election. And she's just like half asleep, raises her arm. She says, yes. <laughs> Thank you, God. And then I think she yeah. kind of washed and went back to sleep. But it was just this collective sense. The images and the impression that I got was that it felt like D Day in 1945. You know, the pictures wow. in Times Square yeah, where everybody yeah. was out, just like, Thank God the war is over. That sort yeah. of liberation. Yeah. That's the sense that I got liberation from this. Liberation. And, and like you said, a collective exhale. Just, oh, fuck. Man, can we just now, can we get on with some sort of normality yeah. in our lives, you know? And, of course, you know, Trump can't have that. And oh, Rudy Giuliani, is there, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to talk about this, but you, I guess in the context of everything, because you have to talk about it at some point. Maybe next week is a better time to speak about it, but this isn't, it's not a non-issue. It's a non-issue in the post-coital afterglow that today is. You know, mm-hmm. we're sort of, we just finished and we're lying in bed in each other's arms like, isn't this great? Isn't this nice? Mm-hmm. But eventually mm-hmm. you got to get out of bed. You got to go wipe off your, 
I don't want to get too profane here. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to reel this back in. You got to go clean up. You got to go clean up. <laughs> and then you got to go shower, and then you got to you got to leave the house, and you got to go to work, right? Or most yeah. of you do. And so life is going to return. The business of life is going to come back after the afterglow has sort of worn off. And that's where I think we're at. And that's what I think this Rudy Giuliani stuff is and everybody else that's sort of behind him. I guess it's Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham and another in a, in a cast, a small cast of idiots mm-hmm. who are perpetuating mm-hmm. this conspiracy theory. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe not. You know, the, the, the cable news channels keep saying that. Maybe it's within the realm of possibility that there is some massive degree of fraud here. Probably yeah. not. Go ahead and pursue it. Take it to court. But, you know, you know Biden won. Well, the more, the more moderate Republicans are coming up, you know, the, the Lindsey Grahams of the world are not. But the more moderate Republicans, Chris Christie, et cetera, they're saying, OK, yes, you know, he deserves to be heard. The, the mechanisms of the government need, you know, if there's a, a reason for a lawsuit, we need it. But if you're going to bring a lawsuit, where's the proof? Show us the proof and then we'll we'll get on board. So far, there hasn't been any. There's been no evidence of anything. That's the common refrain through everything that I've seen is that, yeah, maybe show us the proof. Do you have any proof? And the answer is always no. No, there is none. But yet here it continues and continues and continues. So, yeah, I mean, uh, election officials were sort of the heroes of the week. You know, they 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 did their jobs. They did it diligently. Yeah, um, feels like the corruption of the government hadn't se- or the administration hadn't seeped down that far yet. But uh, you know, maybe in another, if there was another four-year administration of this, maybe it would have. Yeah, know, I, I don't know. One thing I'd like to ask Mr. Trump, if I could. Well, there's a lot of things, but one thing this week. Show me the path to the Republican governor, the Republican Secretary of State in the state of Georgia. Fixing the election so Joe Biden comes out ahead. Right. And show me how they did that and just completely overlooked the Senate that's heading to a (laughs) runoff here in January to determine the balance of power potentially in the Senate. If they're going to fix the election for for Biden, why wouldn't they fix the Senate races? Why haven't they taken 60 seats in the Senate then? Well, because all he cares about is himself, as always. And so all of this bluster is about him and his election and his presidency. And by by trying to delegitimize it, he's delegitimizing the races down ticket. Right. Right. I don't even think he sees it. I mean, I'm sure somebody has told him. I've heard that um, the 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 Dracula looking guy. What's what's his son in law? Uh, Kushner. Um, he he. Uh, I guess he finally went to him and said, "Look, you you, you need to concede." He's more Renfield, isn't he? Right. <laughs> 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 I think Julie, Giuliani, yeah, yeah, he's the, he's the uh, creepy. Talking about somebody that needs to go away. But, you know, it's going to take, it's going to take, uh, you know, it's going to take the, you know, Mitch McConnell and a few others, some of the, maybe the second in, you know, in charge of the uh, majority party in the Senate, you know, because it's like what happened with Nixon, right? Nixon, he didn't come to that conclusion by himself that he was going to resign. Four powerful senators, senators went to the White House and said, dude, you're done. This isn't a resignation. This is an election. You know? And he, he won or lost this election by more than he won by four years ago when he called it a landslide. Right. John King. A, bless what I'm heart. saying is it takes, you know, it's going to take, you know, it's going to take somebody to step in and say, dude, I get you. I, I'm stop. with you. It shouldn't, but you know, the truth is what is not what should be. Uh, mm-hmm. And when you were, when you were repeating this back to me, I said that I, that would be the one question that I would ask of Donald Trump. As you were replying to that, I realized it's not Donald Trump that I would ask that question to. I, I wouldn't ask him two plus three. 
I'm just done. I don't care anymore right, what he right. has to say about anything. But I would ask that question to the people who are sticking behind and perpetuating the conspiracy that the election was stolen. Why? Yeah. How can you hold on to this and, and see that the Senate, nothing else switched. This was a wonderful election for Republicans outside of Donald Trump. They yeah. did really well. Yeah. They didn't lose the Senate. They gained seats in the House. Yeah. Yeah. You go, well, it goes back to the Andrew Sullivan article. I don't know if you're going to plan if you planned on bringing that up today. I was hoping we could. Yeah, but um, that you know, I love it when smart people write stuff down, and and he's one of them. And he really kind of summed up, you know, how this election came out. And I'm, I'll try to, I'll try to summarize it in a sentence or two. But in that, the results of this election are sort of a, uh, a kind of a referendum on the woke left, yeah. uh, because the you know the 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 Republicans were able to keep the Senate. Uh, we know so far. I mean, we think that's probably the way it's going to go. It's going to be a closer margin than it was. Uh, but they're going to keep it by maybe one senator. And they actually gained seats in the House and they lost the presidency. So I think it was kind of the American people saying, look, we're kind of we're kind of done with this woke shit, this um, a politically correct stuff. It's gone a little too far. There's a, there's a certain distance that we're willing to go and you're taking it to a level that's beyond um, beyond logic. But also saying we also don't really want a crazy person running the country. Right. Yeah. Or crazy, uh, if not, if not crazy, certainly there's some, some sort of personality issues going on there. How about insanely um, belligerent? You know, just yeah. the belligerence of it all. I the think as much as anything. The, the, the division, the uh, pitting neighbor against neighbor and all that kind of stuff. I, and I think that's kind of what Sullivan was getting at among some other points. It was really a nice article. I was really glad when you sent that to me. Um, and it gives, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm really happy when smart people write stuff down because they're able to kind of summarize what you're trying to, you know, what you're trying to think of and how you're trying to uh, come to conclusions and, and make decisions on. Um, they put it together very nicely. And he's one of them. He's one of the best ones. You know, one thing that I really appreciated about that article is I think he started, he might have started two paragraphs, first sentence with the words, what I was wrong about. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's one yeah. other thing I want to get back to. I'm going to, I'm going to interject this here because I forgot to interject, interject it last week. One of the things that I, I judge people by these days, the new standard of evaluation that I have, uh, is I, I tend to ask people, what have you changed your mind about? You've read part of my thoughts on this in, in this piece that I haven't ever really published. I sent you an idea about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's sort of a rebuttal to this charge that I've been dealing with for, for 10, 12 years that I'm arrogant. You know, you're arrogant, Todd. Okay, fine. What about, the, I'll get to this at some point. I've been threatening people with it on this show for a couple of months. Yeah. I'll get to it. But yeah. part of the rebuttal is, fine, you can call me arrogant, but what have you ever changed your mind about? You know, what's more arrogant, you know, my tone or the fact that you think you have always had everything right, that you've never been wrong on anything, that you have never had to alter your views or completely change your mind on anything. I admit you were wrong about something. So I saw that in the Andrew Sullivan article, and then I remembered I never gave you credit for that last week. That's where I wanted to go when I asked you to remind me to come back to whatever it was we were talking about, because we had a conversation about the Electoral College the week before, and you were in favor of it. Mm-hmm. We had a conversation. You went and found a, a documentary, whatever else you found. You came back, said, I was wrong. I think I was wrong about this. I have changed mm-hmm. my mind. Right or wrong doesn't matter. You evaluated and changed your mind about it, right? That's Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Do you realize how few people do that? Well, critical thinking isn't a premium anymore. 
you know, and, and that's the point. We're just not critically thinking. We're having information spoon fed to us. Some people who think that, you know, maybe there was something to that conversation. Maybe I might be wrong about something. And then take it upon yourself to go look it up. There's a lot of information at your fingertips on that $1,000 phone you're carrying in your pocket. And uh, uh, and you can find lots of great information about stuff as long as it's reputable stuff. So, I mean, that's really all it takes is uh, I, I made a mistake of having that conversation with someone who's on the kind of the woke side and I ended up getting a barrage of articles about uh, the, the 1800s and how uh, electoral college slavery right? was equated with slavery right. and the three-fifths count and all that kind of stuff. And, and those articles, you know, some of them were very good too, but they, they missed they missed some important factors. And, but we, you know, we don't live in the 1850s anymore. You right. know? And so I realized that there's probably a penance to be paid, but at the same time, that's just not the world we live in anymore. And so you can't compare the Electoral College of 1850 with the Electoral College of 2020. I don't know what the right or wrong answer is here. I, I'm, I'm obviously in favor of it. I understand the argument for it, and I believe in it because I, of my stance and my opinions about mob rule about the tyranny of the majority. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at. I don't know the right or wrong of it. I really don't. I guess we could probably, we could sit here for a month and discuss it and still not have a rock solid quote unquote truth about it. it yeah, just, for me, it just came down to the math. Right. It was really just the math. Right. The math made sense. Yeah. Beyond that, it's all just social stuff and everybody's going to have opinion about that. Opinion. Math, math is math. Yeah. And there, there are no opinions about it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I, go, the reason I bring this up is not to really rehash the Electoral College thing. I mean, we have a new election. I guess we could start talking about it again. Uh, but yeah. I, I wanted to thank you for the example because so few people, so few people are willing to come out and say, I've changed my mind about X. And I'm going to add to that. I'm going to say that I, I think a reason for that, bringing it back to the main overarching theme of the show, has become social media and the fact that we are all these massive content generators. We're always putting our opinions out there, always saying what we think. I don't think I've talked enough on this show about social momentum and the pain that comes with the aftermath of changing your mind after you've made all these public declarations. Yeah. You know how difficult that is and what happens if you start pulling on that thread and you admit you're wrong and you start doing a little research, a little checking, a little educating of yourself and you, you pull the thread a little bit, a little more comes out and all of a sudden you have to start questioning everything that you have publicly pronounced for decades at times. <laughs> how do you turn that around? Yeah. What, think about the pain yeah. involved with that. I understand it to a degree. But that's why I want to give you as much credit for that as I possibly can, because I, I see that so rarely. Yeah, so, I don't. I, I, well, yeah, people get an opinion and all they look for are confirmations of that opinion without looking for, right. you know, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, without rehashing the whole thing again. But yeah, that's that's really what it was. It was just, yeah, let me look at this. I mean, I could be wrong. Let's do an experiment in segues here. We can tie this into Trump now. Yeah. You know, the same idea. He's been talking about rigged elections. He's been talking about how he's he can't lose unless the election is rigged and all this. You know, even if he was completely wrong about this, you know, a lot of people think that he he saw this coming. He knew he was going to lose, so he had to establish that narrative from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But how can he let's try to be a little empathetic to the orange demon just for a minute? How can he bring it within himself, being who he is, to go on camera and concede the election? In that I don't. I don't. I just don't think he can. 
you know, I just, I just don't think he can or ever will. And, and, and luckily it doesn't matter. He doesn't have to. That's no, a no, custom. No. I, I, I'm not you know? arguing that at all. I, I, I no. told you yesterday, I hope he's drugged from the White House by that orange <laughs> comb over. I, I do. Yeah. Great TV, in my opinion. I look forward yeah. to that day. That'd be some great reality TV. Oof. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you're right. And he's probably not going to, um, going back to my opinion that I, that I texted you about yesterday, there are a couple uh, a few options for this, but one of the things I'm kind of leaning on is he's going to take his toys and go home. I bet he spends the next two months in Mar-a-Lago. Just not doing anything. You think he's going to resign? I think he's done. No, he's not going to, he's not going to resign and he's, and he's not going to do anything. If he does do anything, it'll be the essential stuff that he has to sign in order to keep the country running. But I think at this point he's going to be, you know what? Fuck him. I'm done. I'm going to go to Mar-a-Lago where my, with my gold plated house. And, you know, cause he did call the white house a shit, a shithole. Remember that. Nice. That's my opinion. That's just a guess based on his personality type and what I know about personalities. That, that's one way, or he could just fight like hell for the next two and a half months. You know, I wonder if he even shows up to the inauguration. Somebody else mentioned that too. I can't see it happening. You yeah. know, and who cares? Right. Honestly. At this point, you know what? Go pout. Screw you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> Great, That's Donnie. It. Great, Donnie. Just go, go home. Let let Mr. Pence make all the, 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 at least appear to make all the decisions. I don't care. Don't show up for the inauguration. We'll see you on Trump TV come February. And that could be the best thing that could happen. The third option, he goes out scorched earth, man. He burns it to the fucking ground because he's still the president for the next 74, 73, 73 days. He still has the power of the presidency and executive orders, and he could do a lot of damage. He could do a lot of good, too, if he chose to go that path. But that just doesn't feel re- realistic, no. does it? <laughs> no, and, you, and, and again, I, I have this traditionally, I guess, uh, institutionalized optimism that I, I have to scratch it every now and then. And, and traditionally, you would think that a lame duck president going scorched earth in the last 11 weeks of his presidency would have a check from his own party because they have to, they have to sit here and legislate yeah. after he's gone. They have to remain accountable to their constituents and all this other stuff. So you would think there would be a check in that sense, a greater check, a massive firewall check. Yeah, and that that's how I came to my other Congress. opinion, right? That he was just he's basically going to go back to Florida and just say, fuck it. If you, if you guys don't want me, I don't want to be here. And he'll just play golf for the next 73 days. Great. Go. Yeah, please. Please do. Please do that. And work on that putting game. Yeah, because I don't, I doubt he's going to contribute anything meaningful to the transition. Maybe maybe obstruct, you know, uh, because we know the information that he passes to us is, you know, to the American people is is, is unmitigated horseshit. So I don't think that the trans that Biden's transition team could take anything seriously from the administration as being re- any anything close to reality. So they're going to have to come up with all of their own facts and answers and things. So I think it's going to be a one-sided transition. They're going to have to go in and reinvent reinvent themselves. The beauty of that is it's just like you the know, same thing. <laughs> Biden has 8 years experience in the White House. Right? So there's uh, you know this is the place and time. This might be a good thing. A complete reset button. Exactly. Exactly. The big red button. Remember the Office Max commercials or whatever the big. Yeah, it could uh, be, you know, yeah. you have to go in, you have to evaluate everything, you have to examine everything and you have to build everything almost from scratch because of what President Cartman left you. The big steaming yeah, pile of shit on the desk. Dig, yep, yep. It's just a, yep, that's exactly right. And now you have to go in and just rebuild it from the ground up. And that's okay. That's fine. 
because I'm sure they can do fine. I, I, as, as I understand it, he's already got a team in place. He's already got the coronavirus task force team in place. They're ready to go in at like day one. Like as soon as he's sworn in, they're going to take over. His transition team has already been working on cabinet secretaries because, you know, they're going to broom every, everybody. I'm, sh- I'm sure they'll broom everybody, except maybe the, uh, as I heard yesterday, except maybe the uh, secretary of defense. You know, you want to have some bipartisanship, so you don't want to necessarily fire everyone. Uh, so you want to ha- maybe have a couple of Republicans on your cabinet. Sure. It worked It worked for Obama. You know, Republicans uh, have different theoretical leanings. And on certain for certain departments of the government, those theoretical leanings might be the best way to go, right? What is, what's the body count as far as the purges have gone in the last four years? How many people has he fired who have actually been inside government, who have actually been inside of that cabinet? who may have some inside information, even if he's not willing to leave it, even if he's not willing to brief the incoming administration, how many people mm-hmm. have been fired that could be brought in early mm-hmm. onto you know, a transition team to say, okay, this is what was going on, at least when I was there. That's maybe not a bad idea, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Especially, especially um, you know, like the old chief of staff and stuff like that. Um, yeah, who was the, uh, the general? God damn Mattis. it. I'm, Mattis. I was Mattis. trying to think yeah, of his name. Too. Yeah. Thank you. Um, he, he seemed to be pretty great and, uh, maybe he might have some wisdom, but I, I'm, I'm sure by president elect Biden and his transition team have already got names. They've been working on this for months, probably that level of change of power in 73 days is a lot of work. So they, you know, they've already, they've already gotten started and they're already ready to go. Did we miss anything with the Andrew Sullivan commentary? I feel like there was something else we were going to talk about yeah, because I it feel was like such a was... good article. Yeah. Uh, other than giving people the title of it so they can go find it for themselves. I don't remember it myself. Let me let me see. if I, I think I still have it up. Uh, yeah, it is. Trump is gone. Trumpism just arrived. The air is Trump. cleared and democracy is working. That's his subtitle. It's on the yeah. weekly dish over at uh, Substack.com. AndrewSullivan.Substack.com. And you yeah. may have to subscribe at least to the email list to get this. It is behind a paywall unless right. they're, they're publishing it somewhere else. So I may... If you want it and you can contact me and you don't want to pay for it, contact me. Email it to him. Yeah, I'll, I'll cut and paste. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that good. It's that it is really good. good. Yeah. yeah. He was saying that, yeah, Trump was voted out, 4 million in the, in the popular vote. It looks like it's going to be right around 300, I guess, in the Electoral mm-hmm. College, right, as things sit mm-hmm. now. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 300, 306. They're saying it'll be the exact opposite of what the, what he was in 2016, right. which, which is also a commentary about the country yeah. uh, and, and the, way we're, the way the divisions are. Yeah, so by his own standards, it's a landslide. <laughs> yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But um, by the same token, as uh, Andrew Sullivan and a few other people have pointed out over the course of the week, the left didn't have a good election down ballot. So mm-hmm. I think uh, I remember what it was. We were talking about uh, how can that happen? Why is it that Republicans outperformed their own presidential candidate in an election year election like this? How can that possibly be? And I think what we came to, and the, I think the gist of what Sullivan was trying to put out and other people as well, is that people are tired of the extremes. Yes. It's not just Trump. It, it's also the left. Yeah. The woke left. Yes. I, I think maybe we had an election finally where the moderate majority stood up and spoke. 
And that's what I was trying to articulate earlier. You're doing a much better job of it. But yeah, everybody's tired of the extremes. Okay, everybody, let's meet in the middle and start running the country. And I love the, um, you know, the moderate majority. I don't, I don't know if that's yours or if you got that from somebody, but that's, but that's really a description of reality. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we were talking about this last week or maybe two weeks ago when I was talking about the bell curve and how we all pretty much exist in the middle, some a little bit to the left, some a little bit to the right, but most of us are ensconced moderately in the middle. Mm-hmm. And and those are the people that came out. They came out this time. They said, look, you know, we're tired of this woke left stuff, um, but also we don't want the extremes of the right either. Right. So we've kept this sort of check and balance in place. Do you think, to, to kind of maybe push back on our own premise here, how do you think this would have turned out without COVID? Uh, I, I think Trump could have won without COVID. Yeah, I think it's a landslide. Yeah, I mean, I think COVID played a lot. But, you know, personality, I think, played a lot in this election, too. Personality, civility. I think there were a lot of people who who were voting for the more civil future right. so, rather than, uh, you know. reason I ask that, I want to t- kind of reconcile our own theory here. If COVID never happens, mm-hmm. if we think that Trump could have won, or I, I, I honestly believe, I think that's, I think it's a landslide. I don't even think it's any, I don't even think it's close. Mm-hmm. So how does that factor into the extremes then? Is it just his extreme negligence as far as the response to COVID goes? Or is there something else at play here? Maybe his his approach to the COVID response kind of uh, put a spotlight on his incompetence. Mm-hmm. And maybe people in the middle who voted for him before kind of looked at that and went, ah, this this doesn't feel right. And And somewhere along the line during COVID, because of COVID, they experienced some cognitive dissonance trying to figure out, okay, I voted for this guy, but man, what a fuck up. <laughs> and so and so they, they kind of had to come back and, and come to terms with the fact that they had elected someone who was incapable and really unwilling to do the job. And so the best person to run against him, which everybody knew, was Biden, yeah. uh, who had been in the job almost, right, as vice mm-hmm. president and had done big things like the bailout in 2008 and, and put uh, the car industry back to work and all these kinds of things. So and then also just the basic difference in personalities, I think, yeah. played a huge part. You know, Biden was smart when he came out and stayed on message with, you know, come together this is about empathy. This is about, you know, being friendly with your neighbor. We can agree to disagree. We can disagree with each other, but that doesn't mean that we're enemies. I think his words were, we can be opponents without being enemies, you know? And the era of uh, demonization, right? That's right. And um, yeah, his speech last night was probably one of the best speeches he's ever given in his life. It was, it was pretty, pretty good. And so I think that had a lot to do with it, but you're right. Without COVID, Trump probably would have won. I don't know if it would have been a landslide. I think it would have been, I I think there would have been, it wouldn't have been as many people voting uh, without COVID. So, but it turns out we did have COVID and it did get rid of him and them's the facts and it's all, it's all in the history books now. Well, I, I gotta say, I've heard a lot of talk about how Biden got more votes than anybody else, something like 74 and a half million votes, right? Most yeah, yeah. by any candidate ever, right ahead of Donald Trump this year. Yeah, exactly. 70 and million Trump- people voted for him, more people than voted for Barack Obama in 2008. Yeah. And a lot of those are going to be people who are going to vote Republican no matter what you do. I have done that in some elections. And I've just voted, some, I just voted my, voted my party. You got to apply that, you gotta apply that to, to Biden as well. You do. And I, for me, I just voted straight ticket. Boop, that's it. That's easy in Michigan. I don't know if all states get that, but in Michigan you do. And so you have to apply that to both. But, but um, 
I don't know if there was any, if anybody got a referendum, if they started no. talking about, we have a mandate now. Oh, I'm have. not sure. They have talked not, about that. Have they? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I mean, I realize almost 75 million people voted for president-elect Biden. I realize 70 million people voted for Trump. But again, the, the, the number one and number two people, the winners here, I think, are the voters who showed up. Right. Like literally. Well, they half, literally didn't show up. They vote. Like they, they, they didn't have to show up. Right? Exactly. But That's literally huge. like almost half the country voted. Half the population of the country voted. It was two thirds of all registered voters. That's pretty substantial, and that, that's a big win, I think, for demo, for democracy. Sure. Right? Sure. You know, if you want to, if you want to get into some philosophical discussions about that, but um, in the in the end, it turned out that the people said it's like I've said we've talked before, right? The pendulum has a tendency to swing, and and overall, we tend to correct our mistakes. This is one of those situations. The Republicans got a lot of votes, uh, but they didn't get all the votes they needed. And that's I think that's the voters saying, well, we well, need to make a change. We I don't need know. to make a change. I don't know. I, I don't want to shit on anybody's parade. I want I want you to have your post coital afterglow. I want you to enjoy that uninterrupted, at least this week. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but but <laughs> 70 million people voted against Joe Biden. The states he won, the states he flipped. He didn't do that in a dominating fashion. Okay, and as far as it was, it was very close. I would be more convinced had he won those states by two, three hundred thousand votes each instead of being ahead by what is it, uh, seven thousand in Georgia? Yeah, 30,000, I guess, in Pennsylvania, something like that. Pull out like 400 electoral votes, right? Yeah, that's I don't know if you heard. I think Nixon did that, as a matter of fact. I believe it was something like that ridiculous. That is the one thing we needed to happen this year. That would have, I would have jumped on board with your course correction philosophy, Brian, had that happened, but it didn't. The margin of victory is still slim. I don't care. Again, we can talk about the popular vote. It matters to a degree. He didn't beat Trump by that many more votes than Clinton did. And if you look at the totals again, okay, the entire gap in in the popular vote comes from California. In the other 49 states, this election, popular vote wise, is essentially tied. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. And, and the, 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 um, uh, oh crap! I, I just had a thought and I just lost it. No, I think what we've in, in the country with the way it is right now, with the divisions that we have, I don't think it's possible for us to have a landslide anymore. I think those are gone. I think those days are gone. Um, it would have been nice. It would have been a nice fairy tale. I, it's just not going to happen. And I think, you know, this election sort of solidified the notion that we we live in two countries. We share. We live in two countries together. Um, we have a group over here and a group over here. We all have diametrically different opinions on how policy should work and and how the government should run. And we somehow managed to continue to live together and so far make it work. But again, it's going to take somebody uh, completely the opposite of what we had for the last four years. It's, right. it's not, you know, it's not going to be somebody who is doing their best to divide us and demonize us. It takes, it's going to take somebody like a Biden who can come in and say, look, you know, we can be opponents, but we don't have to be enemies. And that needs to be, that needs to be shouted from the rooftops. And that's not just the politicians. It starts at the politicians. I don't care what anybody says. The president does set the tone for the country mm-hmm. and it's going to take that. He's going to have to stay on his game. And I think it's going to take the people of the country to just get on their game too and and reach out to the their next door neighbor who had the Trump sign and have conversations over the fence. You don't have to talk politics. You don't have to hate each oh, other. Talk about whatever you want. Thank you but, for that. Hold on. You I, know? Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. I got to write that down. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just like, oh yeah, that's something I thought of in the shower yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, it's, I don't know what it is about showers, man. You it's just awesome. get the great. You get the thoughts. I don't know. Is it the hot water on your brain or something? It's, I, you know what I think it is. It's it's a meditative thing, like driving. And yeah, it's probably yeah. the sound. It's the act of maybe touching yourself gently. I don't know what it is exactly, <laughs> but it puts you into this state. A lot of people, I don't, creative people, I've heard this a million times. You think better. You, you're like these synapses and these ideas and yeah. these thoughts connect and like boom. The neurons. And yeah, then, your neurons get fired up. And then you grab the towel, wipe your crotch, and it's gone. Yeah. I can't hold it. I cannot hold that stuff long enough to get out of the bathroom to write it down. I can hold one. I can hold one good idea, Genuine? you know, and, and that's uh, pretty much, that's pretty much it's like sleeping, right? If you yeah. get a great idea at night, you got to wake up and write it down. Same idea. Yeah. Anyway, man, we just derailed, but, um, <laughs> sorry, that's you know, messed no, me that's this fine. time. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I, you know, uh, well, I, I, but I think what I was getting at though, is, is it, 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 you know, like, like we were talking about, you can be opponents without being enemies and, right. you know, and, and look at your neighbors across the street who had, who had the Trump sign in their yard and, and, and wave at them, wave hello when you see see them instead of looking at them and going, Oh, fuck them. Say, hi. you know, yeah, just say, say hello, say hello, say hello. There's two things you know? that when you, when you talk about that, I've had the, the blessed experience to be able to hitchhike around the U S and I've talked about this with you and a number of other people repeatedly, probably too much on the show, but that experience of sitting in the car with people who I disagree with on everything about being able to interact in a friendly way to listen, to force myself to listen to what they have to say and watching them actually listen if I, if I choose to interject something. Seeing each other as human beings instead of mm -hmm. just a set of political beliefs in a bag, mm -hmm. right? And I've seen this, this same general idea down in Latin America. This sounds, it may sound like a non sequitur, but I don't think it is. You know, gringos down in Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, other parts of the, of the world are not really seen fondly. Okay, so mm -hmm. you get this look where you're walking down the street to say Tegucigalpa and people will look sideways at you, another fucking gringo, until yeah. you look at them, smile and say hola. You look them in the eye. Hola. Hey, this one's okay. Yeah. He's willing to speak to me kind of thing. Yeah. You know it's the I mean? same thing in Hawaii. They don't particularly care for howlies that much. But if you learn a little bit about the language, learn yeah. a little bit about the culture and get it back to them, you know, and kind of repeat it back to them and, yeah. you know, and be a smile and say hello. Yes. It goes a long it way. It sounds so trite. Coming from my own mouth, I just want to cringe when I say it, you know, knowing who I am, where I, how I typically <laughs> act and behave here. But I noticed that early on when I started traveling around Mexico, look them straight in the eye and say hi. And smile when you say it. Yeah. That's, that's a great just rule of life in general, right? Well, maybe. But it, you can apply that. You don't have to look at a Trump supporter or a, you know, a woke flake in, in the eye and say hi and smile. That's not what I'm saying. But take that general mentality with, with somebody whom maybe disagrees with you or you disagree with. At least extend the first, uh, I don't know, first rung of the ladder as you mm -hmm. sort of try to climb up towards some sort of sense of cooperation or at least common ground. Yeah. And we're all still, you know, we're still Americans. We still have to make this country work. Um, and so we, we do have to figure out how to get along with each other, yeah. whether we have different political beliefs or not. You know, you're sharing the same roads, you're sharing the same grocery stores, you're sharing this, you know, everything about it. And, and we're all just human beings living in the same place. And it's okay to have differing opinions on what you think the direction of the country should be on policy, stuff like that. But there are mechanisms for expressing that. You know, we don't have to hate each other. There's no reason to hate anybody, really. Right. Um, but in this case, especially, right? There is some cognitive dissonance I'm having. I'm, I'm trying to reconcile. And maybe maybe you might have Me some too. thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, and that is 
70 million people voted for Donald Trump knowing what kind of person he is, what kind of president he is, the, the, the grab them by the pussy remark, the immaturity, uh, his own immaturity as a 76-year-old, 74-year-old man, how immature and infantile he is, vile and corrupt. And I'm not going to go as far as to say racist and all that because I don't, I don't know. But I'm going to say that I, I, I just I don't I just don't see him as a as a normal functioning human being. That's my opinion. And yet 70 million people voted for him. He won women again. He won white women again. He won and educated white women, educated white women. Right. The pussy grabber. I, I, I'm, having, I'm having trouble with. Who are these 70 million people and why did they do? Why did they vote for him? Maybe they think if you're asking. Since it was a question, it sounds like you're asking, asking me what because I, think. I Because I can't put it together. I don't know. I think that they just don't care. I think that they, they see the economy. The economy was doing very, very well. I don't exactly know how they did the exit polling. I don't know if this included the write-in balance or not. I don't know. We'll find all that out in the coming weeks. But they asked people before the election if they were better off now than they were four years ago. You know, it's the old Ronald Reagan thing, right? He ran, mm-hmm. he ran mm-hmm. away with the election because of sim- that, that one simple question. And mm-hmm. I think 44% of the country responded favorably to Reagan's notion. I can't, I, I, I did not research this. I wasn't expecting this question or I would have. 54% of the people surveyed said yes. I am better off now than yeah. I was four years ago. Yeah. Okay, great. He talks like he's in a locker room talking about grabbing pussies. I have heard people, my own friends who have who aren't sexist at all, when they get around me, <laughs> they'll say things that are just some of the most vile, disgusting shit you've ever heard. Mm-hmm. They don't mean it literally. They're mm-hmm. just talking amongst their friends. <clears throat> now, you talk about the pussy grabber comment. He had mm-hmm. no idea. The microphone and camera was on. He probably, I don't did he even know he was running for president at that time. Okay, <laughs> no whatever. Doubt. It's just yeah. a guy being a filthy brute. I've yeah. seen it a million times, and I assume that many of you listeners have seen people do that as well. Mm-hmm. Right? So, okay, fine, whatever. As far as the racist stuff goes, we've all seen racists in this country. We all know a racist. We may be a quiet racist ourselves. We may talk about not being a racist, but deep down in our heart of hearts, at the core, what is it you call it? The shadow self? The shadow self, We know the impulse. We know what that tribalism really is. And maybe they see it. It's like, you know... Whatever. Is he, is he is he helping the economy? I don't care. I know so many racists. This does not affect how he does his job. It does not affect my job. It does not affect the economy and my ability to, you know, provide for my family. Is this where they get that 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 favorite mantra, you know, look at what he does, don't listen to what yeah. he says? Yeah. Is that where that? Yeah. I think so. I think so. Yeah. But what did he do? <laughs> the 54% of the... The, 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 okay, fine. You and I are probably not invested in the stock market, but the stock market was doing really well. Unemployment was low. Mm-hmm. The economy mm-hmm. was doing pretty damn good before yeah. COVID hit. And, and, this, and, and that was Clinton's mantra, right? It's the economy, stupid. Yeah. Everything else is secondary. Right. And speaking of that, by the way, you know, we were talking about, we, we talked a little bit about Corona and how it might have affected the election. It did, I'm sure. 
where I'm coming from, where I think it might have been a little bit about personality too, and just the the demonization versus empathy and all that. And I saw a, a re, some research, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, that asked people, have you been affected by coronavirus, right? And yep. degradations of, of that, you know, severely, uh, moderately, not at all, right? Mm-hmm. And 44% of the country said not at all. Coronavirus has had no impact on my life whatsoever, other than having to put on a mask when I go outside. Yeah. No financial impact. So that's why I'm saying I'm not entirely sure that corona was the decider here. Um, but it might have been. Maybe it was the thing that got Democrats out to, you know, get 74 million votes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But there's still a lot of people who, who were affected, clearly, but not very many. There was only like 17 percent. Well, let's, let me ask you. Who said that they were seriously affected. Have you been affected? To what degree? Uh, very little, honestly. Yeah. My, my job, I'm, you know, I, I'm still working, thankfully, and uh, my, my pay hasn't changed, not one iota. And other than being inconvenienced by having to, you know, use hand sanitizer every time I come in and out of my house and uh, carry it around in the car, every time I touch something and I wear a mask, I have virtually no effect on me whatsoever. I still get up and go to work every day. I know I haven't, of, been able, I haven't been able to see my family. I haven't been able to see my friends. I haven't seen you guys in about a year. Right. It seems like anyway, maybe not that long. January, February. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. And so, um, you know, that's affected me more than anything. I haven't been able to see my family. But uh, other than that, no. That I've had that effect. I haven't seen my mom since uh, she's, you know, in her 80s now, approaching mid 80s. She's got underlying conditions. And the girlfriend, works around people <laughs> a yeah, lot. So yeah, I don't feel yeah. good about the two of us going down there and seeing her and exposing her to something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, I agree. That sucks. That's why I haven't seen my grandma. My grandma right. who's 90, 94. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That sucks. But other than that, me personally, if I've been affected, it's been positively. <laughs> Podcast you know, numbers shot through the roof in March and April. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of people were, especially during that first yeah. bailout when when basically going on unemployment, your income became $50,000 a year. You're basically making like, at least in Michigan, like 600 bucks a week. Yeah. And, you know, if you extrapolate that taxes and stuff like that, as if you were to pay taxes, that's like a fifty fifty five thousand dollars $55,000 a year job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, the girlfriend has been, she's had a lot of stress at work. She works, works in HR at this place. And I would love to sit her down in this room and talk about the HR impact or how HR has been impacted by all this. Uh, she has stories, man. She has such good stories. You love them. Uh, but yeah, she, I hear stories from our own HR and yeah. I hear, I hear them too. It's, it's, it's intense. Yeah. It's not just the, not just the COVID thing, but everything else that was happening over the summer, but she has had to deal with uh, people, uh, you know, waves of infections at the place she works. They had their first death, not in her building, but across the street this week. Mm-hmm. I think that person or someone close by had affected and infected uh, like six other people. And these people were deniers. One of these folks was that he wouldn't mm-hmm. he refused to wear his mask. They were taking the plexiglass down at the, you know, the lunchroom table. So she's been affected by it, but not directly. And no, nobody in her family and nothing like that. So I understand that. I, I, I suspect if I were to do a survey of my what, what's left of my friends, I think I'd probably get very similar answers to that unless they live in mm-hmm. Chicago, New York, or L.A. No, I agree. Okay. I've known some people who have been affected. Luckily, we haven't been affected um, that much, that badly, knock on wood. But um, um, again, it goes back to what I was saying statistically. Right. Uh, I'm not sure that the majority of the country decided based on COVID. Well, I, I, think, they, I think they did. I think that the um, alternative 
to Trump with the okay, we don't know what the alternative to Trump's going to be for one thing. We don't know what uh, Joe Biden's a national pandemic plan is going to be, but they mm-hmm. saw the lockdowns early. They saw the lockdowns here in Michigan by Governor Whitmer. They saw the Democratic states like New York. They see their lives not being affected, and they remember the response to it early on and do not want to go back there because they are not <laughs> feeling the pain themselves. So therefore, they would vote, I think, for Trump yeah. in that case. Yeah, yeah, but that yeah, I just yeah. torpedoed my own argument, didn't I? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't that's what know. this that's what this show is, right? We yeah. t- talk through things, yeah. and sometimes sometimes we realize have a realization in the middle of the conversation. Yeah, um, but it could, you know, or maybe it's you know a little bit of both on both sides, right? right? Yeah. Um, the ones who are who voted for him, you know, they like the idea of herd immunity, and uh, and it's not your right to make me put on a mask, and blah blah blah. And then everyone else was like, now wait a minute, you got to believe the scientists, and we need to. So maybe COVID was the decider in one way or another, you know, indirectly. I don't, I don't know. It probably had a lot to do with it. I'm sure people way smarter than I am are going to pick this apart. Yeah, I look forward to that, too. I look forward I'd, to the analysis after this. I'd like to believe it has an awful lot to do with personality differences. Personality, you know, uh, uh, clearly a, a walking, talking personality disorder versus someone who seems to be in touch with pain that people suffer. Uh, someone who has a really good level of empathy for other human beings, not undue to his own pain that he's suffered throughout his life. You know, losing his, you know, his wife at a very young age in the early 70s. Uh, he lost his daughter in that accident. Uh, his son, I think, was was hurt um, permanently in that accident, and having a son die of cancer, having another son uh, with a you know drug addiction problem that he's worked that he's worked through. Th- there's a lot of life experience that has informed uh, Biden's ability to empathize with other human beings, and I think having a mental health background myself, I, I think that that's what the country needs. We need we need empathy for each other. Do you think it, it might be a case that the country empathizes with him? It could be, and that's a start. If that if that's what they're doing, uh, then then that's good. That's a start. That means that there's still some empathy out there, and and we start there, and then we start empathizing with our neighbors. We start having a little bit more feelings about the guy across the street who's having a rough time, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, it, it all has to begin somewhere, and, and and or at least come back to a level where we do begin to care about each other a little bit more. Um, I'm not saying we all have to be buddies and throw house parties all the time and everybody's, you know, got to love each other. I'm not, I'm not into that whole thing. I'm just saying, understand, you know, the pain that other people are going through in their life. Everybody you see on the street is going through something, including, including yourself. So before you judge somebody based on what you see or based on what you believe you see, uh, you got to realize that they're carrying their own baggage too, right? And I think it's time for that collective empathy. But first, like you said, let's bask in the afterglow and um, just enjoy this win and hope that, you know, he's able to govern with Mitch McConnell in charge of the Senate. There's two things. I never got to my shower thought. After we went through all that, I never actually got to it. Oh, and you never did? No. It, it tries directly into what you were talking about, is to resist the impulse to talk about politics, to preach ideology to someone mm-hmm. when you're having an interaction, a conversation with them. Just shut the politics off. Put yeah, a firewall or at least not up be around. self-righteous about it, right? Just I, don't be self-righteous no, about it. No, yeah. I would say shut it off. Try to well, find that used something. To be the rule. Try to right? find something with this this human being that's standing in front of you, this countryman of yours, this American brother or sister or whatever it is. Try to find some commonality that doesn't involve politics. 
Well, remember the three golden rules from back in the day, never sure. talk about money, politics, and religion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? in, yeah. So, and and let's, let's go back to that because somewhere it became a point of pride to wear your politics all over you. You know what I mean? Yes. And bask in it and just exude it. And frankly, nobody cares. Well, you that's know? not true. That is definitely not true these days because it's been a point of judgment. Everybody yeah. Yeah. cares now. That's that's the thing. It used to be. You're right. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think I think the old schematic yeah. before social media and before we were all content mm. creators on the internet. <laughs> that yeah, nobody gave a shit about your politics. But now yeah. everybody does because of yeah, what he was know, talking. Right. Because of what he was talking about last night. It's the era mm. of demonization. Demonization yeah. because of your politics and your political beliefs. So everybody well, cares. So quit talking we, about it. <laughs> yeah, we well, we, exactly. And so, we, and we've been trained to think that people care by social media, right? We got this big, we've got this big amplifier with uh, with social media platforms sure. that make make us think that other people care about what we're saying and what we're posting, and maybe some people do care about what other people say. Um, I'm a huge fan of Tom Hanks. I kind of like what he has to say about stuff, but it's always friendly, you know. Right. And he says he talks a lot about typewriters. You know, he's a big typewriter collector. Um, but so those kinds of things, right? Those are the kinds of things that you you find yourself interested in. I th I agree with you, man. I think it's time for us to all collectively shut the fuck up about our politics. Keep it to yourself. Steve Martin said that this morning on CBS this morning. He said, "I I keep my politics to myself. I don't talk about that." And um, and. Everybody loves Steve Martin, right? What can you not like about a guy who plays a banjo, right? It's happy. So, but, 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 but no, there's some wisdom in that, right? Let's, let's stop talking about politics, please. Yeah, you know? th that's the one way that if you really want to come together, if you want to start seeing each other as human beings again, start seeing each other as human beings again. I'm preaching here. It sounds like I'm preaching. No. And I have to take this. I have to take this to heart, too. This is another tangent of a conversation I want to have because I, I still do that. And how do you do that? Let me finish the thought. Start seeing each other as human beings, not political entities, not a set of uh, beliefs in a bag. Yeah. Right. Find out something about the person with with whom you think you have a disagreement politically. Find something in some other aspect of your life that you agree on some common point of humanity. Yes. And build upon yes. that. Yes. And Thank then you. the politics don't matter as much. I have friends who are Republicans and I, you know, I have conservative friends. I have liberal friends and we're still friends, you know, because we don't talk about politics. We just don't talk about it. It doesn't come up. I had, I've got uh, friends who chose not to vote at all in this election because they couldn't bring themselves to vote Democrat, uh, but they certainly weren't going to vote for Trump. So they just did. They were like, "Yeah, I'm just not going to bother." So it's like, fine, whatever. But what what makes it work for us is we don't talk about politics. It's easy to because it's emotional and the heat is, you know, that cranks up the heat when you do that, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so you want to, you want to, you want to have feels. Everybody wants to have feels of some sort. Unfortunately, this is not healthy. This is not healthy. You know, I, I, this episode is probably it has a little bit to do with you know social media and stuff, and I know that's kind of the lean for your podcast. But at the end of the day, I, I do think social media has a lot to do with the fact that we want to constantly oh, talk about that stuff. We're headed there. We haven't even talked about Tristan Harris yet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was such a good, you were right. That was such a good episode yeah, of Bill We'll Mar. get to that. The thing is, I, as you were saying this, I got to thinking to myself about the John Kalua book again. This is such mm -hmm. a 
fucking good book. It explains so much psychologically about the effects of propaganda, and it ties directly into the social media disease and this ubiquitous connectivity that we have. So many people have become what Alul called proselytes and militants. They don't have much identity beyond being a political entity anymore. So how do you have a conversation about something in their life, something else, find some other common point of humanity, as I said, when their, their entire existence is a political one? Yeah. Well, then they're a boring person and you need to move on. Find somebody else to talk to. <laughs> right? Yeah. You, just, you yeah. just realize yeah. Yeah, at that point, at that point, you just have to be a reasonable person and go, eh, we don't have much in common. Nice yeah. to know you. Yeah. You know what I mean? You are imbalanced. You should go. You should. Yeah. You know, the to- everybody needs to start realizing the toxicity of the environment. Yeah. I, that sounded really self-righteous. No, everybody it, needs to realize this. Whatever. I've know. said that a hundred times. It's fine. Yeah. We can be but, a little uh, self-righteous here. Yeah. But, but <laughs> I think, you know, I come at it from a psychological background. Sure, yeah. I know a little bit about human behavior, having mm-hmm. been trained in it and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think that would, it would make us so much more healthy. There's a reason that that wisdom has been around for centuries. Don't talk about money, religion, and politics. Don't discuss it. Religion and politics. It's a, there's a movie. I can't, I've been sitting here trying to, in the back of my head, trying to think of the name of the movie, uh, sleepers. Never see that. Uh I think I have. They're in the bar and, uh, these two guys, there's a conservative Democrat talking about Reagan's election in 1980. The bartender walks over. Yeah. My friend here wants to buy you a drink. On one condition, you know the rules. No religion and no politics in the bar. Yeah. <laughs> right. well, that's how you keep people from fighting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially. And that's old wisdom. Man. That's some, something, you know. That's some ancient wisdom. I always throw money in there because that was that was one of the rules of my family. We don't talk about our money ever. Right. <laughs> Isn't that, that should just be standard though, right? Yeah, don't, right. Don't uh, talk about your income. Don't talk about your private. money problems, all that, that shit. Yeah. That's private. Yeah, that's private stuff. Yeah. Let's let's start to steer the ship back to the social media thing. Is we I think we do have a lot. I hope you have time today because I we have a lot to talk about as far as what Tristan Harris and uh, what was his name the other guy, uh, what the hell was his name, black guy Mal- Malcolm Malcolm. Uh Nance. Nance. Yeah. He, yeah was on, Nance. he was on Bill Maher. Both of those two were on Bill Maher. Tristan Harris was the 15, 20 minute opening guest and uh, Malcolm Nance was one of the, the panel guests this week on Bill mm-hmm. Maher. If you haven't seen mm-hmm. that, you have access to HBO Max. Please go check it out. But yeah. how do you engage someone beyond being a political entity when all you see is political agitation coming from them? How do you crack that? I mean, is it is it just a case like we argued a few weeks ago about saying fuck them? No, I think I think you pull in some uh, some good old fashioned psychology, behaviorism and uh, operant conditioning and you don't reward the behavior. If somebody comes at you with those conversations, deflect, deflect. And if they want to continue, then we're done. And that that's what you do. Right. You don't Mm -hmm. want to reward the behavior by engaging them because now you're engaged and now you're in the conversation and you're firing off their, you know, you're firing off all their neurons and they they get all that shit going on in their brain and everything's lit up. And that's all they can talk about. Right. I think you just don't reward the behavior. Right. You punish the behavior by not discussing it, by not getting involved. And eventually they have to find something else to talk about. And if they don't want to, then they're there. Then you have nothing in common and go find another person to talk to. I'm thinking of stand-up comedy here. You know, if you have somebody who thinks they're funny in this context, you're comparing funny to br- politically brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. But if you have a stand-up, a person who goes to an open mic, think he's going to knock the socks off at everybody in the, in the audience and mm-hmm. they just sit there and look at him. Mm-hmm. He may start to realize he's not that funny. That's right. 
he may start to realize he needs to investigate something. <laughs> He's going to do he a little self-evaluation, I guess. So, he wasn't rewarded for right. his behavior. So don't sit there. <laughs> I, what, I guess what I'm saying is don't sit there and just nod along politely. Don't just, yeah, okay. That's just to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, encourage the, the, the relationship or maintain the conversation, however you want to look at it. I think it's important that what you said as far as don't engage, just don't react. Don't react. or Don't or encourage it. And you can do it politely. I love the way Steve Martin said it this morning. I keep my politics to myself. That's it. That's all you got to (laughs) say. And if you can't do that, then, then we have nothing further to discuss. You know? Uh, So you just have to, you know, you just can't reward the behavior. That's really all it is when it comes down to it. Don't give them, don't give them a biscuit for going outside. And I'm not talking about Trump voters here. I am not talking about Trump voters. I don't know who you're envisioning no, when, you're talk, when you're talking about this. Who I'm envisioning is, yeah, I, there is a few Trump voters, but I have a whole horde of woke flakes over here that I want to apply this to as well. Yes, everybody. I don't want to hear not, about I, any of it anymore. Yeah, I'm not picking any side at all. I'm, I'm thinking of everybody. You know, unless unless you know you're among, a, you know, if you have a friend who, who you, you think alike, you know, that's that maybe that's a good that good a good time to talk about politics because that's how you learn, right? That's how you get engaged, and that's how you might find out a little something, um, because they might bring a nuance to the discussion that you hadn't thought about, like you did with me with the electoral college. You and I have been friends for a very long time. You mentioned something, I was like, you know, Todd's not stupid. Maybe I should look into this a little bit. Same idea, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk when we talk about politics, that's okay. But when you've got somebody like you said who just exudes it and is in it and it's their uniform of the day their skin is politics um yeah I, I don't i don't think i have time for that i just i just don't think i do and if they want to talk about something else if, they, if there's anything in their life they want to talk about dogs i can do that all day long you know or, or or cars or whatever uh but let's not talk about politics and maybe and maybe that's the salve that the nation needs right is to go back to that old wisdom <laughs> don't talk about politics and don't talk about religion <laughs> maybe they should add a new flag to facebook posts where you flag yeah. a political post and it gets taken yeah. down. Political, Wouldn't that be great? That would be great. <laughs> Especially be Twitter. Great. And, but, and, then, and, and, and if it's flagged, then you could go into your own settings and say, I don't want to see political posts. And then, so they don't show up in your feed. Oh, that would be great. They have the algorithm. I mean, they would be able to find any kind of post that has Trump, politics, Biden, woke flake, anything, <laughs> libtard, anything. any yeah. kind of political language and just filter it out of your feed. Wouldn't that be filter. awesome? Yeah. All you got to do is click a button saying no politics. How many no people, politics. how many people would click that no politics filter? I'm not sure. I know I would. And I would probably come back to Facebook, by the way. It's been two months. Congratulations. And I, st- I don't even think about Facebook anymore. I don't think about it. It's like it's a non-entity in my life. Mine too. <laughs> I love it. I, I post. Love it. I do. I do post a couple. Posted a couple of things last week as far as the election goes to my whopping thirteen people in my group, and I threw some <laughs> up to the page. I put up. I put an image of Fox News declaring for Biden on my page. I thought that would be fun, Uh, and people liked it. Uh, But other than that, I don't think about it anymore. The twitch, you know, the urge to come in here when I when I you know think of some idea or make some connection and pound something into the keyboard when I think it's 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 completely gone. And I don't think in terms of you know that online ecosystem or that online environment anymore. I'm more 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 organic. 
what you know it took a while to the behavioral part of it took a little bit to get over that that urge when you're a little bit bored yeah. um and when you're kind of mentally checked out to pick up your phone and scroll through facebook or whatever yeah. um and that took a little while to kind of overcome but that's done now i mean i still scroll through stuff i look at the news i look at some of my buddhist feeds i look at stuff like that i'm not pouring toxicity into my brain from from facebook and social media it's the downfall of our society i really do believe that and look and listening to tristan again on does he does he call himself Tristan or Tristan? I don't know. You know, let's call him Tristan because that's just what I say. Um, but listening to him Friday night, you know, just reiterating so eloquently what the problem is, it's right there. You know, we're just we're we're two countries because we're living under two completely different sets of data, different facts. He was the you perfect know? guest at the perfect time, in my opinion, on that show. Oh Friday. my gosh, he really was. But I also love that other people are thinking about this. Uh, there's a, I believe there's a, a, another special. I think on I want to say it's on CBSN. They're they're uh, they're streaming news service that has to do with social media and how it's driving people apart. I've heard it come up on a couple of, a uh, uh, couple of the pundits on the news this week oh, while yeah. we were trying, you know, while we were trying to get through this election process, yeah. some of the pundits on some of the channels, not the usual channels either. They weren't cable channels. They were, <clears throat> they were the, uh, the major networks um, were saying the same thing, you know, and they were calling out social media by name and saying, you know, this is the problem. You know, we're living under different sets of facts. Yeah. I can't believe the the feeling that I had when I saw the documentary, The Social Dilemma. And when I put that together, it was like the biggest, brightest light bulb went off over, over top of my head. And I was like, my God. Yes. Yeah. That is absolutely the truth. So it sort of became my mission. And then when you invited me to, you know, to join the podcast and all this stuff, it just seemed like a, it seemed like a logical step. This is kind of my way of contributing to the downfall of social media. If I can make that happen, I absolutely will. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> or at least, at least, at least steer some people away from it. I, I totally know what you're talking. I, I, for, I did my first um, social media disease episode as far back. I misspoke. I think it was February of 2018. This is almost three years ago now. There were a few little whispers here and there, but it was definitely not in the mainstream. The idea that social media was having this corrosive effect. And it's, it, I just, I came to the conclusion because I saw what it did to me, did the work to kind of trace it and, and really look at the hard truths about how I was behaving and why. Right. And I, I thought to myself, well, self, because that's what I call myself, self. I said, self, if it's happening to me, if I'm doing this to myself, is this yeah. happening to millions and millions of other people around the world? And is this why we're heading in the direction we're heading? It's like, yep, I think yeah. so. Yeah. And it's really rewarding for me because I, to my credit, I never really backed off of it, despite not having any support in the mainstream for the idea and the notion of it. I'm happy and thrilled to see people like Tristan Harris on Bill Maher. And I've heard the same comments that you've heard in various places around the, uh, the media this week where they're starting to mm -hmm. point the finger directly at Facebook and directly at Twitter and say, mm -hmm. you are the problem. It's your algorithm. It's this creating of these separate parallel universes for mm -hmm. every single human being and how they perceive reality. You are the problem. They are the problem as long as, as long as we're the product, right? Yeah. We're the product. If you're look, if you're not paying for it, you're the product. I got to back off. I, I have to back off because that was a cliche. We are the problem as well, because if we're aware of this, if we understand this and we can intellectually grasp the idea and see what's happening, then we become the problem with that awareness. If we mm -hmm. don't change our own behavior, mm -hmm. they don't have to change. We can. 
They can sit there. They can keep the algorithm right where it is. If people become aware of how it's affecting them and how it's affecting their, their community and their culture, mm-hmm. they can change the behavior and make it obsolete. People just have, people have to leave the social media platforms, right? right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and we know the kids already are because their parents are on it, so they don't want their parents to see. So there's that whole generational thing. Uh, and that's, that's a problem, but I don't know what's going on with the new apps like uh, TikTok and all this other shit. You know, I, I have no idea. I don't either. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> there's, either. There's other social media besides Facebook and Twitter, but those are the big ones, right? Those are the big ones where you can, you know, get your opinions out there to about 3 billion people around the world. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And the fact that, you know, we're not all getting the same feed. It's a customized feed that causes you to want to look at your screen. Oh, it's just, I, I, I'm not going to get back into that because we've, we've talked about this before, but my yeah. God, my God, it's just, you know, it's, it's designed to fuck with your head. Your emotions. You know? Yeah. It's your emotions. Psychologically keep- manipulate you. It turns you into a marionette doing exactly the dance that they would like you to do. Yeah, yeah, you are the marionette. No, that's yeah. a great, that's a, that's a fabulous example. Thank you. That's a great uh, analogy. Yeah. But We're just the puppets and Facebook is the puppeteer. Yeah. Malcolm Nance um, is not the most cheerful of men. <laughs> Did you see no, that? You saw the entire episode on Friday, right? He's generally pretty surly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You saw his, uh, his appearance on Mar too, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I stuck with it. Yeah. He kind of creeped me out a little bit even coming from my perspective, but he put the onus directly on, I think he put Mm -hmm. it right on the uh, right-wing echo chamber, right? The right-wing extremist echo chamber and put forth some some serious warnings that made him think he listens to this podcast. (laughs) Uh, He may, he may. If he is, hi, Malcolm, I love you. I actually really like the guy. Yeah, come on the show. I have a seat for you right here if you're listening. It'd be great, (laughs) I'd love that. Uh, But he... I said in the episode last week, if we have a nail-biter election and we have a seamless and peaceful transfer of power, that I'm going to shut this fucking thing down because I clearly do not know what the hell I've been talking about for the last year and a half, two years, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe I'll keep the podcast going. Maybe we'll apply the no politics, no religion thing to the show and we'll just talk about social media and propaganda. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, it all seems great right now. Everybody's in that poise-coital afterglow this weekend. After the 2016 election, the Democrats were licking their wounds for quite a long time. Yeah, we, we, you know, Democrats were doing the same thing that, um, you know, Trump supporters are doing now. Yes. We were screaming, we were screaming, how can this happen? There's no fucking way this could be real. Remember that? Yes. You remember that feeling? Yeah. How can this be? How yeah. can this asshat be the president of the United States? And that went on for months, well, years, really. I mean, so I get it. I get it. But yeah. you know what? That's empathy. That's empathy. That's trying to have a little empathy for yeah, I'm, I'm getting you to <laughs> No, it's okay. It is empathy, but it's not the kind you're thinking of because you saw what happened right around inauguration time in January 2017. I have the photographs. I, you have one of my photographs of that that demonstration and that protest that kicked off the <clears throat> the resistance in 2017 yeah. all over yeah. the country. It's hanging in my guest room. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> thanks. I like that. It's an excellent picture. Uh, but and if you want to buy one, by the way, shoot me an email. I'll be happy to see it. Um, Todd, takes, Todd takes some excellent photographs, you guys. Upperworldphoto.com. Uh, <laughs> what the hell was I talking about? Uh, yeah. But in that period of time, directly after the election, in November through December, there was chatter about Russia. There was chatter about this, chatter about that. But the left, the liberal wing of our political ecosystem was shattered by that election. 
temporarily. Mm-hmm. And we've seen what's happened with the Green Tea Party and the rise of the woke left in the last four years. These Trump supporters, the 70 million of them, a good portion of that 70 million are not just thinking of ways to exit the political process, go lay down and watch Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. I am terrified of yeah. what Malcolm Nance was talking about during that segment, that even if Trump is, he's been defeated, but even if he leaves office, how is he going to affect those 70 million people after Biden takes office? Do you think he just starts his, his little TV network that everybody's been talking about and he just goes quietly into that, uh, that, 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 that dark night? Do you think <laughs> or, that he could, I'm sorry, I think I interrupted you. I, no, I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, everything about him is about making money. So I'm sure he's going to figure out a way to parlay this into a way to make money. I don't know. I guess I'm I'm feeling more optimistic about the possibility of some sort of a violent uh, revolt. I just feel like just based on his personality and his type and just kind of what we've seen, uh, you know, I, I just feel like he's just going to kind of vanish and he's going to go somewhere and he's going to turn this into, a, you know, some sort of a money making scheme of some sort. I don't you think know? it's about money. I don't think it's about money with him. And I think it's about disruption. I think it's about just, you know, he's the kid in class. You know, remember you're in school. Mm, I was one. I was this kid. (laughs) Hey, I just realized it was me who sits in the back of the class and just disrupts things just for the hell of it. Just for the attention. Just to feel significant. Just to feel like he matters somehow. I don't think Mm -hmm. it's about the money. I think it's about the interference. And I've had this thought a number of times. And this is my tinfoil hat. I have it on. I'll admit it. But... You know, we've heard a lot, a, a lot of talk about how he has been some sort of an agent, some sort of a plant, some sort of a tool of foreign governments. It can't be proven. Obviously, there's been a lot of chatter about it, but he's acting as though he is, even now after the election, calling the election fraudulent. What's the point here? PR. That's PR. Or, you know, a conspiracy could be written, a script could be written saying mm-hmm. that he just wants to tear down the entire democratic institution in our country. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet for that. You think it's just money. You think it's just as simple as money. For him? Yes, I do. Him and his family. I really do. Plus, he's already mentioned something about running again in 2024. So. Yeah, and he'll have four years. Oh. See, my post-coital afterglow is just, it's only temporary. I know it is. But he'll be running against Kamala Harris, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. I just, you know, with that fact alone, it means he doesn't have any, he does, he's not a person that has nothing to lose if he plans on running in 2024. It's like, if he, it's the theory that he's got nothing to lose. That's that scorched earth kind of attitude, yeah, right? Yeah. That we're talking about. Yeah. But if he's talking about the possibility of him running again, um, which he can legally, he isn't a man that has nothing to lose. He still has to keep his base up. He still has to keep, you know, right. which could which could in some ways make him even more destructive. Could he be setting someone else up for 2024? Maybe Jared or uh, Ivanka? I think Ivanka, I think, was one that uh, was had had that I had heard rumblings of her maybe running. Maybe Ivanka versus Kamala. So it's a Trump dynasty. That's his motivation. I think so. I think well, power. I think they love the power. I'm again, I'm just, yeah, it's like, I'm just guessing. I'm just, yeah. I'm just kind of talking out my ass now, but 
We'll see. Uh, you know what? We don't yeah. need to speculate. We we will see. This will make itself apparent. I think it will pretty quickly. Goes. I, I yeah. would encourage you you folks to go uh, listen to Malcolm Nance though on uh, Bill Maher's program because you know it seems like there's 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 been this liberating victory that we've all experienced over the weekend. We're going to move toward the um, what do they call it when the, the uh, certification of the vote? Yeah, certification December sixth. Is that is that when they do that? Something like that. Yeah. I'm I'm. <sighs> I would implore you not to get too comfortable at this point. Enjoy it. I don't want to take it away from you. I don't want to take it away from you, Brian. I don't want to take it away from myself. I don't want to take it away from my girlfriend. Millions of people around the country that are just thrilled and happy that this monstrosity will apparently not be in the White House come February. I do not want to take that away from you. This is huge. Mm-hmm. It really is. I mean, potentially it's huge that we have reclaimed some sense of sanity as far as our, at least our presidential uh, elections go, or the, mm-hmm. the office of president, right? Mm-hmm. It, it feels normal again. You know? It like, does. Like we've come out of turbulence. I just flew a few weeks ago and like coming out of the clouds and. Yeah. Ah, nice smooth landing now. You know, that's, that's kind of what this feels like a little bit. But yeah. I, I am afraid that. Too many people voted for him. Too many fevers are too high at this point, and he's stoking all that. The right-wing media, Hannity, Tucker Carlson, are are stoking this narrative. It's they not going to remain be. quiet forever, I'm afraid. They might be, but I've, I, I read earlier, I was reading the article, I can't remember where I got it. There, there's somebody who's writing that they believe that the Murdoch organization is pulling away. They're cutting and running. From Trump or just? Uh, from Trump, from oh. Trump. And that's, you know, that's obviously the Fox dynasty, the network, um, and also the Wall Street Journal. There is right? one other thing. I'm glad you mentioned that because there is one other thing I wanted to touch about and do sort of a uh, uh, election week media news postmortem. They did a pretty good job. I mm-hmm. flipped back and forth. I didn't watch any MSNBC. I tried for about five minutes. There was Maddow. Maddow. And that was it for me. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. But I watched a lot of CNN. And remarkably, yeah. they did a good job, mostly. The three networks, the three big networks, they did a great job too. I went back and forth between the three of them, avoided, I avoided CNN, avoided Fox, avoided MSNBC, and I stuck mm-hmm. with the old standbys that I grew up with and you too, yeah. CBS, NBC, and ABC. Uh, they all did a terrific job. I kind of liked ABC's coverage a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little, it was a little flashier. Lots yeah. of colors, shiny things. <laughs> <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Like the slot machine, right? We, t- yeah, we talked but about They didn't that. have Steve Kornacki and I do like Steve Kornacki a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's on Coke. He's got to be on coke no you know what you know what he does you know why he does what he does he comes out of the sports world and he ended up coming to msnbc so that coverage that he does in front of that board that's a sports statistician doing that work you can see it right he's bringing that that sports mentality to covering politics and you can just you can just see it one thing that i want to say about cnn they were overly conservative in calling these states this time yeah everybody was ap called arizona way early yeah so did fox Fox called yeah. Arizona, I, I think, on election night, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 I mean, everybody else was holding off yeah. um, and being way concerned, literally everybody else. But when AP called it, NPR called it because they get their, they, you know, mm-hmm. they're getting their stuff from AP. So when I was driving to work, I think Wednesday morning, I was hearing NPR calling Arizona. I was like, oh, okay. Right. So it all became pretty obvious by what, Wednesday night. Maybe Thursday, but this was yeah. wrapped up. I don't know. In retrospect, it does. I was terrified. I was terrified of Arizona. I was terrified of Nevada. 
<laughs> it's just it's like I oh wasn't, god I, I wasn't that worried about Pennsylvania though and that's really all he needed so yeah, I, right. to me to me it was done and you know and there's a lot of this uh, conjecture about you know what about the votes after the you know the votes that came in post election and you you can't count those you we'll know and you remember yeah. the yeah. those were sequestered all those votes were set aside I don't even know if they've counted them yet because they don't need to and besides that there weren't enough of those votes to change the outcome of the election. My understanding is that they were counted but not added to the total. So if okay. they need to be yeah. there's some sort of court ruling or something. I don't, I don't remember yeah. exactly. Yeah. I, I, I did want to give props to – I think his name's John King. I hope I, – I know his last name's King. He's the guy that stands at the magic wall on CNN. Yeah, and yeah, John. He, he went out of his way to be fair to – uh, both Trump, as fair to Trump as to Biden, he kept repeatedly saying, this could change. This is not guaranteed. It could happen. But right mm-hmm. now, the trajectory of the, of the uh, results lean this way. I have Everybody to give him credit. Very careful. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, he's an old pro, though. He's an old pro, man. He's been yeah. around a long time. Beyond that, the opining and the uh, <clears throat> analysis. I flipped back and forth. I had to get off of CNN whenever Gloria Borger was on. Not whenever, but typically when Gloria Borger was on or David Axelrod. They had this this dynamic where they had those two and Van Jones, who I appreciate, uh, going against Rick Santorum. He's the token conservative on CNN, right? And it's just it turned into this, okay, shut up thing. And I'd flip yeah. over to Fox News. Just to get the other side, that's what I thought. Fox News did a great job with their analysis. Believe mm-hmm. it or not, Brett Baer, Brett Hume was on there a little bit. I forget the woman's name. Bill Hemmer was kind of out of his league with the, the map. If I wanted the map, I went <laughs> back to CNN. Fox didn't yeah. know what the hell they were doing with that. But the analysis from Fox News, I thought, was better than the analysis that I was getting from CNN because CNN, there was this element, as it's, as it's been for years, anti-Trump this, anti-Trump that, pro-Democrat yeah. this. It was, it was palpable. Well, that's good to know because, of, you know, his base is watching Fox yes. and, you know, yeah. that whole, you know, all those folks that are watching Fox and they're getting, uh, you know, good analysis and a good news product, then, you know, then that's, you know, that's helpful. I did not um, expect to be saying that on the show. When I, when I flipped yeah. over there for the first time, I was like, okay, what are these guys doing? Oh, <laughs> okay. I've experienced that a couple of times on completely unrelated matters where I've you know flipped over to Fox to see what they're covering. And I've been fairly happy with what I've seen. It's been very much very newsy, yeah. less commentary, you know, yeah. and maybe I've just happened to be tuning into the news portion of the day and not the commentary portion of the day. You wouldn't catch me dead listening to, you know, Tucker Carlson or any of the other asshats that work at night. But but during the day, it's, it's a generally good news product. I did say um, earlier this week, if you want to see where this is going uh, after, you know, the election, after the results, after the certification, whatever you want to say, if you want to see where his supporters are going, you need to watch Tucker Carlson. You need to watch Hannity. You don't need to do it to get the truth. You're not going to get any truth there, but you need to educate yourself, not you specifically. But if you're legitimately mm-hmm. and authentically curious about where these people are coming from and the ecosystem on which they're surviving, you have to watch those two programs. And I mm-hmm. tried. I went over there, I think, Wednesday or Thursday night, and I watched a little bit of Tucker. Tucker occasionally will make some decent points. Some things I, I typically agree. And then he goes completely off batshit rail, falls into the ravine over there. Hannity. <sighs> so many yeah. people watch him. So many yeah. people watch that shit. Yeah. Take what he says as gospel. And it's it's easy for us to dismiss it. Well, without Trump, there's not a whole lot of there there for him. So he's probably looking at a career issue. You he, know what I mean? I don't know about that. I mean, he was there with George Bush, right? 
He's been around that long, hasn't he? Wasn't he oh, on no, before yeah, he's, O'Reilly? He's, he's been around a long time. So maybe, you know, now his show becomes foiling the Biden administration. Yeah, but I, I'm not even really concerned about I, I'm about all that. I think that's a given. I'm concerned about the, the response to the stolen election meme, mm, you know, right. and where they're, how they are influencing the people that are watching their, their shows. And, uh-huh. Just to wrap it up, I think that if you really want to understand that, not you specifically, Brian, but listeners in general, if you want to understand where this is coming from, from that has to be part of your research and your homework. You got to be able to just tune in. It's hard. It's difficult, but you have to detach and do it as a research project. What are they feeding on? Yeah. Your retinas won't burn. I promise. It does burn. It it hurts. (laughs) I can feel it. I can feel the anger. I can feel the visceral response to it because I know what it is. It's like, okay, I got to it's fiction. Uh, it's yeah. fiction. Yeah, it's like watching it's Game an enter- of Thrones. It's, it's an entertainment show. It's not news. <sighs> but you have to realize that. You have to understand that. You have to realize you're not watching the news. Yeah. And on the other side, people who are watching Rachel and Chris Hayes and No Relation and, and all this, they have to realize those are opinion shows too. Those are entertainment shows. It's not news. Yeah. You know, one thing I noticed this week? We should wrap this up. But yeah, it's my it's my turn to make dinner, so I gotta right on. I uh, I noticed that the first name usage, like you just said it, Rachel, and then other people like <laughs> on the Democratic side were calling him Joe and Kamala. They weren't calling <laughs> they weren't calling Trump Don. They weren't calling him Donald or President Donald. You know, there's this thing that you can kind of tell. It's one of those tells that you get yeah. if somebody's uh, sort of leaning one way or the other how they refer to their you know. Yeah, that's true. I I only refer to, well, I do, I do call Tucker, Tucker, because his name just lends to being called that. that Um, But I've never, I don't even, what's Hannity's first name? I don't even know. Dipshit. Um, Dipshit Hannity. And, but you're, but you're right. The left side, we, you know, it's more endearing. First names are more endearing. Isn't that funny? Yeah. That's a good, that's a, that's a good observation. I don't know. I tried to watch Rachel Meadow a few times (laughs) over the last couple of years. I can't do it anymore can't do it she was the one that pushed me pushed me out of the uh resistance boat pushed me completely yeah. out it was her some report she did on trump's taxes or something back in 2017 i don't remember what it was but, i'm yeah. with you i was it was a, it became a little over the top for me too thanks brian thank you i feel better you feel better america you feel better right <laughs> me too escapingcave.com that's the website uh check out the facebook group if you want to if you can find it i'm not gonna give it to you here More coming. I might have another episode for you later on this week. Not 100% sure. (sighs) Enjoy the post-coital afterglow. Well, it's here. It's not going to last forever. Until next time, so long. This is Brian Hayes, Rocker Midday Guy. Today's election day. It's the day when you get to get out and take direct part. God damn it. Try it again. No kidding. Take two. Hi, this is Brian Hayes, Rocker Midday Guy. It's election day, the day when we all get to directly take part in the system. But it doesn't work unless you get out and vote. Besides, it feels good. I don't know why, but it sounds kind of kinky.